Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Isaiah 43. We're in our series called The People of Yahweh. And actually, could we hit this light bank in the back? We have a lot of slides today. It'll be easier if people can see the slides. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 43. We're in the middle of our People of Yahweh series where we're talking and going through Isaiah 43 as a chapter to kind of really help us identify who is Yahweh and who does that make us then as his people? And so we've been going through the series, and last week, uh, Rick covered verses 8 through 10. And actually, before we read our passage for the today, I kind of want to reread his passage to help us kind of flow in, because the ideal way to do this is actually to have like a two-hour sermon, maybe ideal for me, not for you, <laughs> have a two-hour sermon where we did the whole passage all together, but we need to break it up. So I'm going to read Rick's passages and the verses, and I'm going to read my verses, and then we'll pray. Sound like a plan? Okay, Isaiah 43, starting in verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I... I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that all of us here would be ready and willing and eager to engage with you this morning, that our hearts would be surrendered to you, that our allegiances and our mind would just be turned towards you, and that we would seek your heart and we would find you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> so... Today, uh, we are re-entering the story. Last week, Rick kind of set the stage for this cosmic courtroom where Yahweh is there and the nations are there and all these people are there. And so what I want to do for us today to kind of help us understand the full dynamics of everything that's happening in this courtroom scene, and you kind of saw it there, like call forth your witnesses. And then he tells his people, you are my witnesses. And there's something being decided here. There's something happening in this cosmic courtroom. So for us to really kind of dive in to the nitty gritty of what's happening, uh, I want to go through the characters that we find in the story one by one. And then once we have all the characters down, that kind of helps us understand the story. Make sense? Okay, character number one, witnesses. We are the witnesses of Yahweh. And we're witnesses of who he is, and we're witnesses of what he's done. And we see this in, in a couple of ways. Look at verse 10 and look at verse 12. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And it's really interesting that that word witnesses there in the Hebrew, what it means is witnesses. Okay? 
It's, it's a really basic word. It's someone who comes to a stand and testifies, this is what's happened to me. It's, it's really basic stuff. Now, sometimes when we think about witnessing for Jesus, we think, okay, I've got to have a script. I've got to know what's happening. I've got to know the answers to every Bible question. And that's not what we're actually called to do. What we're called to do is just testify. Say, this is, who, this is who Yahweh is. This is who I am. This is who Yahweh is. And this is what's happened in my life. And that's, that's a really great way, actually, because who's going to dispute that? Who's going to say that's not what happened in your life, actually? You don't know. I was there. <laughs> no one's going to say that. We're just testifying. We're saying this is, you, you come and you say what you know. That's all we do. We witness. And we're called to do that. Look at verse 12. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses. This is the second time in uh, in English, when we want to emphasize something when we're writing, we italicize something or we underline something. In Hebrew, when they were writing, to emphasize something, they would do what? Anyone know? Say it again. They would repeat it. You are my witnesses. Now, we might say, what does this have to do with you and with me? We're thousands of years removed from when the Jews were exiled in Babylon, and the prophet is saying these words to these people. Well, <clears throat> I want to throw up a passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus post-resurrection, talking to the church, saying, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, what? Witnesses, Witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. People of Yahweh, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the people of Yahweh. This is our command. We're called to be witnesses. And Oregon is pretty far from Jerusalem. So we've made it pretty far so, so far, which is good. But the, the battle is never over. We're constantly called to be witnesses of Yahweh, what he has done and where he is going. Okay, that's the first character. Any questions? Great. Second character, the nations. Look back at the verses. Now, they're not explicitly brought up in 11 through 13 where I'm talking about, but you see it in verse 9. This is, this is the setting up of the stage of the scene. All the nations gather together. Now, in fact, the entire trial is really for the benefit of the nations. Even though the nations are coming and they're not the people of Yahweh, they don't believe in Yahweh, they're, they're coming and providing their own witnesses, saying Yahweh is not really God. We're doing our own thing, and we're good. But the entire benefit of this cosmic courtroom trial is for the nations to come to know who Yahweh is. And that's why Yahweh is standing here, and he's testifying, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. I think there's like eight or nine personal pronouns in verses uh, 11 through 13. I, I am the Lord. My, I, I, I. Yahweh is testifying about who he is, and it's for the nations. Now, sometimes we fall into a trap that we think, well, God only cares about Israel, or God only cares about the people of Yahweh, and that's just not the case. From the beginning, before Israel was even a thing, God's heart has always been for the nations of the world. We want to go ahead and uh, throw up this passage from Genesis 12. The Lord says to Abram, Go from your country. This is when Abram, this is before Abram becomes Abraham. This is right at the genesis 
of, oh, ah, funny. This is right at the genesis of the story of Abram. And he, this is his calling from Yahweh. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. See, this is pre-Israel. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's interesting. This is where we get the phrase, blessed to be a blessing. This is how Yahweh works. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is pre-Israel. The Father, Yahweh, has his eye set on the nations. Even more so, we'll actually skip over Isaiah. Can you go to the next slide? This is 1 Kings chapter 8. This is a, a pinnacle moment in the story of Israel. Huge moment. This is Solomon, who Israel has finally built the temple. Remember, David wanted to build the temple, spent his whole life wanting to build the temple. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to have your son do it instead. After the tabernacle had traveled around in the wilderness and all these things, finally, 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 the temple in Jerusalem is built. It's established. This is a, this is, do you guys remember uh, last year, NBA playoffs, I don't know if any NBA fans here, Damian Lillard like waited for the last second and sunk a three from way too far away. Anyone remember that? Okay, that was a cultural moment for our city. I think you could hear the cheering just for a week after that. And it's this moment fixed in our minds. <clears throat> that is nothing compared to what this moment was for Israel. Generations of Israelites culminating in this moment of beauty and glory. And Solomon is praying to the Lord, and this is his prayer of dedication, or a piece of it. It goes on for lots of chapters. There's a piece of it. <clears throat> He's, this is Solomon praying to Yahweh. Likewise, when a foreigner comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arms. When he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. From before Israel began to a pinnacle moment in Israel's history, God's heart has been for the nations. God's heart is to reach the world. God's heart is that people would know his name and fear him. And they would know that he is the Lord. Okay, character number three. Let's keep going. Yahweh is here. This is, uh, I think it almost goes without saying, and we spent a lot of time talking about Yahweh in this series, but Look at how he describes himself in these passages. Look down at your Bibles. He says, I, I am the Lord. Anyone remember what Yahweh means? Because it's right there, the Lord. What does it mean? He is. He is. Saying, I am, he is. I am undefined by anything else. I am unto myself. I am who I am. There is no other like me. I am the Lord. I am your Lord. I'm the Lord of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am Yahweh. 
and he's, he's testifying about himself. He's reminding his people. Look, look at the passage. He says, I declared and saved and proclaimed. What tense is that? Past tense. And then look down at verse 13. And I'm reading from the ESV. Some of your Bibles are NIV. And they say from the ancient of days uh, rather than the ESV, which says from henceforth. If you have the NASB, I think it says from today onward. It's just an interesting word there. It's basically from a, a really emphasized today. Uh, I like to think of it as forward. So you look in the past, I've saved, I proclaimed, and now henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, who can turn it back? So Yahweh is testifying, he's proclaiming, he's saving, and he's even proclaiming about his witnesses. He's saying, when there was no strange God among you, I was working. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. Okay, those are three characters. Don't, don't switch the slide yet. Don't switch the slide yet. Any guesses what the, what the fourth character is in this story? No, not Isaiah. Close. The other gods, who said that? Oh, I told you already, I think. Oh, didn't I? Oh, okay, great. <laughs> She's so right. It's the other gods. Um, look, look down again. Verse 10. Before me, no god was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Interesting. Verse, um, where am I? Verse 12. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. The nations of the world are surrendered to and living their lives for these other gods. Now, what's fascinating is uh, in your Bibles, you see it has a lowercase g, right? has a lowercase g. Uh, could you turn to... Um, Psalm 82 for me. This is a really interesting passage because it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds his judgment. You know what's really strange about this? This word and this word are the same word. Elohim. It's the same word. Elohim has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. That's weird. What's going on? Remember how in the very beginning of the series, we talked about Yahweh and where the name Yahweh comes from and how God calls himself I am and we call him he is, which is Yahweh. But before that, he said, your fathers knew me as El Shaddai. El is short for Elohim. They knew me as Elohim Almighty. Okay. If you go to the Genesis account, Genesis 1, every time it says the word God, it's not Yahweh, it's Elohim. Elohim did this, Elohim did this, Elohim did this, Elohim did this. But then, and that's, that's like 80% of how the word Elohim is translated, is for Yahweh. Then there's this like 20%, and you'll see it in your Bibles where the word is translated lowercase g, gods. 
Now, before people start calling me uh, a polytheist, I'm not, um, you and I would engage with Elohim as demons. Okay. Now, the scriptures use the word Elohim to describe them, gods, but lowercase g. But I think we can get so blind to this reality that we try to, like, not wash it out of Scripture, but just kind of not pay attention to it as it pops up throughout the Bible. Um, even in our passage today, let's look what it says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Before me, no Elohim was formed. Why? Because he's El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. He's God the Creator. There, there were no Elohim. He is it. He created everything in the universe. And he's saying, all these gods that you're serving, all these gods that you're bowing down to, they, they've got nothing on me. And yet you're serving them and you're dedicating your lives to them as if they were me. All these Elohim. Now, in the Old Testament, these Elohim, uh, you might recognize some of their names like uh, Baal or Molech or Mot. And we see them and their actions and their followers, Asherah, we see them throughout the Old Testament moving. And we're kidding ourselves, by the way, if we think that these demons, these spiritual beings, have no power. Look at, uh, look at this passage in 2 Kings chapter 3. When the king of Moab, so there's a whole story. If you want to read this, you can. Uh, you can just write down the chapter. Uh, there's a whole story, a preamble, leading up to this battle between the Israelites and the king of Moab. It's this huge saga. And then we're just kind of picking up at the tail end. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Eden. So what he's doing is he's got a strategy. He's got a battle strategy. He's trying to break through the lines to win the day. But they could not. The strategy fails. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. This is child sacrifice on the wall of the city to the god Molech, lowercase g. And there came a great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. Israel lost the battle. The Bible's weird sometimes, huh? But this is, this is something that we really feel uncomfortable with in the West. This kind of talk, this talk of spiritual beings, of a spiritual battle, of spiritual warfare, makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't like it. We like, we like science. We like things to be really meticulous and laid out. And I don't know about you, I like to pretend that this entire realm just doesn't exist. I like to think about what's tangible and in front of me and not think about a cosmic battle going on in the world around me. Do you guys remember what, you guys know the Ten Commandments? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other Elohim before me. If we look at the Bible, if we look at the scriptures and we see this battle, this cosmic battle, we start seeing it everywhere because it is everywhere. 
you shall have no other Elohim before me. Yahweh is saying that to his people as they're entering pagan lands, as they're entering lands full of Asherah poles, full of altars to Baal, full of people worshiping Molech with child sacrifice. And as his people are entering in, he's saying, you shall have no other Elohim before me. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Okay, so those are the four characters. Everyone feeling really comfortable now? Now we understand these characters, and it kind of helps us break in to what's going on here. We understand everyone present. We understand what the stakes are. We see Yahweh gathering everyone together, the people whom he created for his glory, and he's gathering the nations, and he's saying, okay, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I have witnesses. Look, you can't even, you can't even say that these things that happened to them were because of other gods, because look, when no strange God, no, when no strange Elohim was among you, you are my witnesses. He did this. He saved. He proclaimed when there were no other Elohim. He was the one doing it. And he's telling the nations, I am God. And he's, and he's challenging them. He says, you bring forth your witnesses. Try to prove me wrong. Here are my witnesses. Here are my people. They're witnessing. They're testifying. They're saying, this is what's true about the world. This is what's true about me. This is who Yahweh is. And we're wrapped up in this story because we're people of Yahweh. If you follow Jesus, you're a person of Yahweh. You know, and I think so often when I think of living as a follower of Jesus, as a person of Yahweh, as the people of Yahweh. I don't like to use it as singular. I like the plural identity that we have together collectively as the people of Yahweh. When I think about us living here, so often I think of the church living in a really defensive stance, in a defensive posture. You know, we have to protect ourselves from the ways of the world. We have to protect ourselves from all this sin that's out there. In fact, let's all just huddle up together in a corner. We've got, the, we've, got, we've got God's word. Let's huddle up in the corner. And, you know, if you have a Bible too, you can join me. N- not now. You know what I mean. And, and let's listen to air one and wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> Do you know who did that? Who had the scriptures? And was trying to follow them and get everyone to follow them and wait for Messiah? The Pharisees. It was so bad that Messiah literally came up and tapped him on the shoulder and said, go away, we're waiting for Messiah. We cannot be that family. We cannot. We are called to be witnesses. Not only that, we're not called to be on the defense in this battle. We're called to be on the offense. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is Jesus talking to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. This is like sanity to every pastor ever, that Jesus is the one building his church. (laughs) Whew, great. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who's under attack here? 
hell is. This is the fortress with gates. The church is attacking. On this rock, I'm going to build my church, and those gates over there, they're not going to stand against us because we're people of Yahweh. Those strongholds, those battlements, they're not going to stand because we're the church. We follow Jesus. We're the people of Yahweh. We transform our thinking from thinking we need to be somehow defensive and cloistered and turtled up waiting for Messiah rather than stepping out into the world and saying, no, we're going to take ground for the kingdom of God. We're going to step out and we're going to live in faith. We're going to witness. We're going to testify about who Jesus is. We're going to witness and say, this is who Yahweh is. And people say, no, 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 no. Yahweh is this way. You go, oh, you don't get him. You don't understand. Let me share with you my story. Let me share with you who Yahweh is. I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The people of Israel, they would describe God primarily by the story. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and we think, okay, let me go back to those stories Let me think about who Yahweh is by how he behaved in those stories. And those stories bear witness to who Yahweh is. My God is the God of Nick Golder. My God is the God of Von Golder and Sue Golder. I see the stories of those who have gone before me in my family. And I see how Yahweh moved in their lives and how their lives bear witness to who he is and what kind of God he is. And I say, that, that is my Lord. That's my Yahweh. And I surrender my life. I live for him. So, how do we, how do, what do we do here? How do we go about this? I think there's, there's some traps we can fall into whenever we talk about spiritual warfare. Um, my, my grandpa, Nick Golder, who I talked about a couple weeks ago too, uh, he used to say to me, Daniel, if you look for a demon under every bush, boy, well, they're happy to oblige. <laughs> I don't, that's not a healthy way to go about it. Nor, nor is pretending that the demonic doesn't exist, nor is pretending that there isn't a spiritual battle raging in the heavenlies. I, I, to be honest, I love to pretend that that realm doesn't exist, that I'm just doing my thing, that I know what's coming, I know what book I want to read next, I know what sermon I need to type up, I know what emails I need to answer, and yeah, I, I should pray. Rather than I wake up and I get ready for battle. The biggest lie I think the enemy has sold the American church is that we're not on the front lines. We think the front lines of this battle are happening elsewhere. We think there's a spiritual battle being raged in Africa or South America or India. But here, no, 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 I've just got soccer practice. Church, family, Please, please, please 
witness to who Yahweh is. The nations need you. The nations are here in Sherwood. The nations are in Tigard. The nations are in Beaverton. The nations are in Wilsonville and Tualatin and Newburgh. We are called to join Yahweh and witness about who he is. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is our battle. This is our war. We are a part of it. We can pretend we're not, and that makes the enemy so pleased. Can you throw up that quote from uh, C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, Screw Tape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. My call is not for us to go and start claiming every sniffle is spiritual warfare. That's not what we're supposed to do. Sometimes sniffles can be spiritual warfare. That's fine. But our battle is for souls, honestly. Our battle is for the nations. And we're joining this battle that Yahweh has been on from the beginning of time, saying, I am not these other Elohim. We all know people that worship other Elohim. We say, no, 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 no. Yahweh is Lord. Yahweh is El Shaddai. Yahweh is the Lord Almighty. These other gods are nothing in comparison. Puny. And we stand and we testify on the stand. Say, this is who Yahweh is. So, uh, the, the, the hope of every message is that you, quote, land the plane really well. There's, like, practical application for tomorrow. Um, and, I mean, I don't really have a call for you to, like, jog 10 miles or journal five pages or something like that. Um, my hope is that we would change our attitudes. Um, I don't know where your attitude is at. Maybe you're like, yeah, man, I'm... I, Strap, I strap a belt on every day for battle. I get ready to go. But it's, it's very challenging for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we are so wealthy. And we have so much in our lives that's so distracting and so many things to take care of. And sometimes we forget, I do, that I'm in a battle. Yeah. So that's my heart for this week. You would listen to the Spirit, and you'd remember you're on the front lines, and Yahweh is calling you forward to witness. Just testify about who he is to the people that have been on his heart from the very, very, very beginning. Yeah. It's harder than it sounds. It's easy to talk about, but I think it's well worthwhile. 
Boy, I feel like we should just like have a roundtable like discussion about this right now. Can we do that for five minutes? Just, yeah. Any questions, any thoughts, any comments? If someone yells polytheist, you just have to leave. I'm not. <laughs> Yeah. The question is, what does the battle in the heavenly realms mean? Um, if you throw Ephesians back up. Um, forces of evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly places, it's the same. Um, if I remember correctly here, I can look at this up real quick, actually. Yeah. So it's just the Greek word for heavenly, celestial everything that's in heaven. The idea being our battle is in a spiritual realm against spiritual forces of darkness. Um, and if you even see Jesus, when he comes on the scene, you see him confronting Satan immediately in temptation at the beginning of his ministry. And do you remember when Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple and says, just worship me, and you see all the kingdoms and all the lands of the earth? I'll give these to you. Jesus doesn't say, wait, those are mine. Because Satan is ruling. Satan is reigning. Against, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. If you look at the New Testament, particularly in the book of Luke, you see Jesus fighting against spiritual powers of darkness in the world and saying the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the kingdom of God coming in and usurping the powers of the enemy, usurping the powers of darkness. When he comes across a woman who's been bent over for 18 years and he heals her on the Sabbath and the Pharisees come and challenge him about it. And he says, should not this woman who's been bound by Satan for 18 years not receive healing on the Sabbath day? We see throughout the New Testament Jesus coming and challenging spiritual forces of darkness, saying the kingdom of God is here and now. I'm, the good news, do you know what the good news is? Is that Jesus is king and Satan's not. And we live in a world where hopelessness is rampant. We work shoulder to shoulder with men and women who feel hopeless, who feel the present darkness, who live with these forces of evil and, 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 and think this is okay, think this is normal. This is just how life is, full of hopelessness. And when they see you having hope where you should have no hope, there's no box for that. There's no box for people witnessing and testifying who Yahweh is. Sorry, that was so much less of a round table. I apologize. <laughs> Yes. You know, to that point, you started pretty early in your, your message with the king of Moab and the, the child sacrifice and the, and the apparent uh, effect of that evil influence where Israel lost that day. Yeah. It was a down day. There was not much hope that day. They, they tucked their tail and left. Right? Yeah. And we have days like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that's the thing, is that we think, we, we think 
unfortunately, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we think that because God is God, everything's always going to work out okay. And the reality is we know that in the end, in the end, there'll be restoration and healing. But we're in a battle right now, a battle. And somehow we think there won't be casualties. We just think, yeah, everything's fine. It's, it's kind of like a pretend battle, like kids with sticks. This is the biggest battle that's ever existed. Yeah, it kind of weirds me out when someone goes, and Satan came and took my shoes away, and I couldn't go to the store, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, that was intense, you know? <laughs> that weirds me out. Um, uh, but, at, <laughs> okay. I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind. Don't mock me. <laughs> this is the unprepared section, okay? Um, um, I, think, I think the call, honestly, is for us to start opening ourselves up to it more. Um, I'm actually not too worried about many of us going too far with this because we're so far on the other side of pretending it doesn't exist. So um, I think the first step in engaging in a battle is understanding that we're in a battle. And when we start to see that we're in a battle, we start to see things a little bit more clearly. But at the same time, it's very hard for me anyways to know exactly, this is God, this is Satan at work, right? Um, I think, uh, I think of Acts. You see, if I had prepared the section, I would have the references up. Um, if we want, we can look them up later. There's this passage where uh, Paul in Acts is trying to go somewhere, and he says, and the spirit of the Lord prevented us from going there. Then like, a, like three chapters later, he goes, and Satan prevented us from going here. And I'm like, how do you know? What? How do you know? The same thing happened. You were trying to preach somewhere, and you couldn't. And one, it was the Lord and the other was the enemy. How do you know? I think the reality is the more we understand that we're in a battle, the more we step into it. So what does battling look like? I think sometimes it's having the courage to say, hey, this is, does anyone else do this? You're having a conversation with someone, they're like, well, how'd you make that decision? And you don't say, well, we spent like three weeks praying about it. Because you don't want them to feel awkward. But the reality is they're asking a genuine question. Give a genuine answer. Step into that. The enemy wins when we think we're not fighting. I mean, in the next, the next verses in Ephesians is all, it's not on the slide. It's all the armor of God. It's about the gospel and truth and righteousness. The idea is we're forming, we're being people who we are so that when battle comes, we're prepared. And the reality is battle's already here. We, yeah, there's so many people in Sherwood that don't know Jesus. There's so many people in Tualatin that don't know Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, I think that's really wise, honestly. I mean, I, if you look, I, again, this is the unprepared section, right? Uh, if you look in the book of Daniel, I can't remember what chapter, it might be chapter 8 or 11 or something. Uh, Daniel's praying and spends three weeks praying. And then and the angel Gabriel shows up and says, sorry, I was doing battle for the last three weeks. But when you first started praying, we heard you. To me, I'm not going to try and build a whole theology off of that. I just go, that's weird. I don't know what's happening. There's a whole realm that I just don't understand. I'm praying, I'm being faithful, in three weeks I'm praying, and I'm feeling nothing, I'm hearing nothing, but this is it. Well, I've, we've gone, I know, I see lots of hands, I'm sorry. Uh, we've, gone, we've gone for a while. Could, could we stand and pray together? No, I feel like this round table could go for forever. And um, the kids are going to come in here, and one of the things that I love is... Speaking of thinking about things in the heavenly realms, there's Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. I know it can be kind of disruptive sometimes when we're trying to sing songs and kids are running around or grabbing snacks or something like that. Um, but this is what Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 says. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. I'm going to read again. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. When our kids are in here and they're worshiping, we don't even understand what's happening in the heavenly realm. The stronghold that's being built for the kingdom of God here in Sherwood right now. There's, you know, there's just mystery with it. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for being with us. I thank you so much for calling us into something um, far greater than ourselves. And we ask, Lord, that in this time that we would um, just surrender to you and that we would follow you and that we would be faithful witnesses, that we would be faithful servants that would live for you in, in everything and that we wouldn't shy away because it's hard to understand or we wouldn't shy away because it's scary. We would, we would step in and walk in faith because of who you are. We know who you are and we say, I follow you wherever you lead. Lord, thank you for this day. and May we just spend this time right now honoring you, Lord. May you just be pleased with our praise, with our singing, with our surrendering of ourselves to you and loving you with everything we've got. Thank you for being our king.